0: Are you sitting quite comfortably?
1: Then I'll begin.
0: Hey, kids, comics! Clark Kent has a job. I just want to go on a date. Faulty metaphor. Kryptonite kills. You're assuming I met the green kryptonite. I was referring, okay. of course, to the
2: red kryptonite, which drains Superman in his powers.
1: Wrong, the gold kryptonite's a power
3: sucker. The red kryptonite mutates Superman into some sort of weird...
2: Guys, reality. Besides, I can just tell something's wrong. when spider sense is tingling. You're Spider-sense. I'll oh, stay behind and put around in the back cave with crusty old Alfred here. Ah, uh, no, I'm not Alfred, so I mean, forget Alfred had a job. But gee, Mr. White, if Clark and Lois get all the good stories, I'll never be a good reporter. Mm-hmm. Jimmy awesome job to <laughs> <laughs> pretty much made
3: me last time.
0: Sorry. Avengers Assemble, let's get it going.
2: Hey, Kids Comics! Hello, everybody. Hello, everyone. <laughs> we could just use the same bet at the beginning of every we, show, we no one would never know. We don't even got it anymore, just use the same little soundbite. <laughs> it's the
3: same old joke. <laughs> we should get some new script writers, should we? We should. We should get script writers. We should. Yeah. That would be awesome. Um, I've got nothing this week. I've
2: not
3: got anything. I've done either. absolutely nothing of any e- excitement apart from upload lots of old episodes to the site, but they're still not all up though. I know I said that they would be last time, but you know,
2: mm-hmm. stuff happens. I've already written a show for five weeks down the line. Well done. I know. I'm we, be- we've got to be- get there. I'm ahead of the game this time. Yes. Yes. Yes.
3: Anyway, so we'll just go straight into emails, of which we have a plethora. So many, we may not actually get through them all tonight. So thank you very much, everyone who emails in. Our first email, Civil War and the Violence It Brings, is from J. David Weeter. Hello, David. Hello, David. Hello, Leylands. J. David Weeter here. I don't know why I felt the need to tell you who I am, but I did. And we little picture. Yeah. So we knew that it was David. Kudos to you to covering the tale that created the ultimate rift between myself and Marvel Comics that lasted until twenty eleven. Civil War seemed to have that effect on people, didn't it? It did. Do you know what I want to know? Go on. Alright.
2: Every single
3: person that has emailed into this show yes. with the exception of Chris Keith who's kind of on the fence mm-hmm. but seems to teeter over into not liking it. Yeah. Has not liked Civil War. Right. Right? Why then? did it sell so many copies somebody must have liked it um, for it to sell that many copies well when they tagged event next to it but, but they've tagged events next to things before and they didn't sell as well as Civil War uh, Mark
2: Miller does he really command that much sales figures why um, I don't know but he kind of does see I don't I don't get that at all I get the appeal of,
3: say, Mr. Morrison. I get why he's popular. Okay. Even though he's not my particular cup
2: of tea. Yes.
3: But he doesn't sell as much as Mark Miller.
2: Does he not? Maybe he doesn't kill off everyone in his comic in the most shocking way possible. That's exactly why. It's the MTV generation of comics. So,
3: maybe Mark Miller's not wrong to do what he does then. He's selling a ton of comics.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Let's just write comics where we kill off already established characters. Alan Moore spent a career doing it. See, yeah,
3: but nobody who's emailed in has, has liked, liked it. it. Yeah, but it was it was it not the best selling comic series of the decade, Civil War? No idea. It was something. It sold a phenomenal amount, and it kept selling. It's not like loads of people bought issue one and then said, "This is awful. Yeah, I'm not buying this again." It kept selling.
2: Maybe so, it was a, a, an anomaly. Or Marvel made up the sales figures. You think? Just, yeah, just so it sounded better. Oh, there was okay. only like three sales worldwide, and it's, they kind of wanted to boost it up a little.
3: It seems to me that it's, it's one of those things that is, was so phenomenally popular and sold incredibly well, yet everybody hated it.
2: Which, they read it to dislike it.
3: But why? Why would you... So let's... Uh, right, okay. I've not gone watching Star Trek Into Darkness... Yeah. Because I didn't like the first one. I don't okay. like what they've done with it. It's not Star Trek anymore. I'm not taken away from the people that did enjoy it, but it's not what I think of as being Star Trek. Right. So I have not paid money to go and see the second one.
2: Yes. And it was quite an easy decision to make. You just thought, should I go watching it now? No, I actually
3: got to the... Slowly. I didn't like the first one. We we came out of the cinema and I was like, it was alright, but I don't see what the big deal was. And every time I've watched it since... Yeah my opinion of it has gone down even more. Right. The more that you sit there watching it going, that doesn't make any sense. That doesn't make any sense. That doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. So when we got to the, the, that, and I was like, all right, okay, they've rebooted the franchise so they can do anything they want now. And then they did Rath And then they did Rath And I was like, well, what's the point of that? What's the point of retelling an old story mm-hmm. when you've got the entire galaxy to play with? So with that, I think I said to you, didn't I, if they do Khan, I'm not going watching it. Yeah. So I didn't go watching it.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: It was a very easy decision to make. Yes. I'm not interested. So why would you carry on buying Civil War if you're not liking it?
2: Because sometimes people watch or read things that they, for the sake of yelling Just at so it. they can bitch? Yeah. That, we have all done it. That we have strikes me as incredibly
3: negative. I don't watch things to complain. I will occasionally watch something and complain about it, but I don't go out of my way to watch stuff I don't like
2: maybe it maintained sales so that people was giving it another chance every month ultimately realising no it sucked but bought it next month see if it got any better
3: see because I've been thinking about this
2: because
3: yeah. next week's Marvel graphic novel you know this series that's coming yeah, out is. is Civil War mm-hmm. so I'm going to have to buy Civil War yeah again
2: yes we've only bought it once really
3: I know but it's paining me to have to buy it again but if I don't buy it... But you've bought all the other ones again. I don't... Yeah, but that's crap. I've bought a couple of them that I've already got because it's part of the series when it's all done you'll have the nice interlocked yeah. side panels and it will all look groovy. But groovy. having to buy Civil War again yeah. would pain me. Specifically Civil yeah. War.
2: And House so of M. You don't like it that much. Yeah, having yeah, to buy House of M again. Morrison's X-Men and you really didn't like that. No, you can listen but
3: to it in a previous episode yeah, 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 of yeah, yeah. Comics. Well, let's... Okay, if you bring that up. Right. I've not read Morrison's X-Men apart from that issue you gave me. I uh, may not dislike uh, Morrison's sorry, X-Men. Arc. You say that. I don't
2: remember reading it. You told me you did. When? When did I read it? I don't know. When Scotland's it in there. And you said, oh, I've already read it. It was crap.
3: Was that the Frank Quitley ones? Yeah.
2: Yes, I did read those three. Right, okay.
3: Right, yeah, you're right. I do remember reading Which are the ones you bought again? Because it's part of the series. But you didn't like it? No, but I've not read it at all. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. But the point I'm trying to make is I am going to have to buy Civil War again for to survive the entire series. Yeah. And it pains me. But I would not deliberately go out of my way to watch and or read something I was not liking. Okay. is the point I'm trying to make. Right. So I don't understand how so many people... I mean, granted, this is a very small representation
0: yeah. of
3: the people that bought Civil War. You know, we don't have... Civil sold like hundred hundred twenty thousand 120,000 copies. Hmm. We don't have 120,000 people have emailed into this show, every single one of them saying Civil War was crap. Right. So it's a very small proportion of the readership that have emailed us in. But, if you take into consideration that every time the government do one of these surveys, or the BBC do one of these surveys, or whatever, it's always a proportional representation of the overall whole. So, if we're going up by proportional representation, the proportion that have emailed us in did not like Civil War. 100% of the people that have emailed in did not like Civil War. So if you extrapolate that Across the entire readership, 100% of the people that read Civil War did not like it. Okay. Why did it sell? I don't know. Right, okay. Fair enough. Anyway, we we interrupted David's email to go on that ridiculous topic. Want to fight about it? Apparently we do, David. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, kudos for you to covering the tale that created the ultimate rift. I've just said that. Turns out... When it was all over, I still hate that story. I still feel betrayed. Betrayed. Want to fight about it? Apparently we just did. Yeah. David, we just fought about it. While I was enjoying the comic for the first six issues, David continues, the day I, continued read the day I finished reading issue seven, I sat at my kitchen table, stirring at the book and fuming in silence. I then threw the comic across the room and told my wife, I am not wasting a bag and board on that piece of expletive deleted. Why? Why such an excessive reaction? Because Captain America just... He gives up. He gives up. Master Tactician, Pure Soldier, Freedom Fighter. He's had all of these titles and yet he didn't realise there would be civilian opposition. In fact, completely ignoring that Cap was completely screwed up, there was no climax. The best part of Civil War Issue 7, Tigra's side boob on the cover. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I didn't notice. Yeah. No. I have seen some bad Captain America stories and concepts, from an armoured cap to Heroes Reborn, but this one issue ranks with the worst character atrocities ever. So I festered for days, and I decided that if Marvel can allow such a bad handling of one of the A-list characters, I was done with them. In the words of St. Thomas of Magnum, I know what you're thinking, and you're right. That was pretty extreme. But to bring this rant to a point, years later, listening to your coverage, I came to a peaceful place with my four-year Marvel boycott, because the book was that bad. My only regret with the boycott was that I missed out on Peter David's relaunch of X-Factor in real time, which remains one of the best comics on the market, bar none. But I'm in a better place for your coverage, and I thank you for the therapy. Now, if only I can work out my issues from that summer at camp, I may become the merged J. David Weeder and quell the beast that rages within me. Until then, make mine Leyland's J David Wheater. Thank you, David. We're glad we could we could help you yeah. in your therapy. I like the idea of him lying on the settee.
2: Yeah, just at, at and Comics, us in Comics his headphones. Yeah,
3: and us in his headphones helping him through with his issues. Mm-hmm. Okay, I like that. Thank you, David. Our next email: Some say that civil war was written just to annoy him, and that if he could get his hands on Mark Miller. He would make it so he spoke with a very high voice. All we know is he's called Luke Giaconetti. And the subject heading is what we have here. Whoa, no, I've got laugh, said that wrong. What we've got here is a failure to communicate, which is another line from um, Guns and Roses, isn't it? Some civil man one. who
2: just can't
3: reach. Civil warriors, as all proper British folks are quite civil. Uh, I don't know about that. Have you seen the news recently? Ah, the second half of Civil War. When the wheels really came off the bus and said bus crashed into a carload of nuns and then careened into an orphanage and a kitten rescue. I'm sorry, but that sounds hilarious. (laughs) oh dear god the only twist would have, that would have saved Civil War is if on the second to last page of issue 6 Nova had crashed into the middle of the battle between Iron Man and Captain America and said the Annihilation wave is coming followed by a full page splash on the last page of Annihilus and his fleet in Earth's atmosphere because Annihilation was about a bajillion times better than Civil War without hyperbole you can draw a straight line through Avengers Dissembled, House of M and Civil War and beyond to the point we are at now where I'm more disconnected from the Marvel Universe than ever been at any point in my Comic collecting life. I only read two titles, Iron Man and Morbius, and the latter is apparently ending with issue nine. And I've not read a Marvel event since Annihilation Conquest. I won't go off on it again, but I do want to thank you guys for talking about this series and reminding me why I made the smart move in giving it away a few years back. <laughs> I didn't even sell it and gave it away. <laughs> Very funny, Luke. P.S. Even applying Guns and Roses cannot save this poor series. Uh, I would agree entirely. That does mean that we're talking about Marvel now. Luke's going to have no idea what we're talking about for once. Yeah. If he's not reading him. We encourage you to check out some Marvel now. Some of it's quite good. Our next email is from Michael Peacock. From the highs of Superman's birthday to the low of Marvel's new era. Dear Andrew and Michael. Hello Michael. It's been a while since I wrote to your show but I felt after your recent Civil War 2 part and your extensive Superman's birthday coverage it was high time I hit the keyboard again. First I'll discuss the good Wow. You both did an excellent job giving the first major superhero its proper due. I would almost dare say that you could be giving Kal-El a bit more coverage. Come on, dudes. Bruce Wayne needs a bit of a break in the future. You did an excellent job covering the various eras of Superman. And I also enjoyed the fact that Michael was enjoying the stories written leaps and bounds before he was even the apple of Andrew's eye. Prove positive to current creators that Superman is a timeless character when written correctly, or at least not like he's currently been written, to readers of all ages. Heck, if it wasn't for my recent urge to maybe balance out my reading with some Marvel titles, I'd be reading more Bronze Age Superman adventures. And I bet I'll be changing my decision on that front when I see Man of Steel in the theatres one day or so after my birthday. One day or so before my birthday, isn't it? So me and Michael must have a birthday around the same time. Along with John Wilson and Stephen
2: Lesser. We should (laughs) form a club. The similar birthday club. The Gemini's.
3: (laughs) Uh, uh, The email continues, sorry, I know Clark was somewhat officially born in late February, but for this year, can't all of us Superman fans just say we share a birthday with the greatest superhero of them all? From excitement to wet fart, we go to the other company's coverage you recently gave, Marvel's Civil War. Ugh. Unlike the difference of opinions we had with Maximum Carnage, I cannot disagree with either of you about Civil War. I remember the very weekend I picked up the first issue of the miniseries and afterwards saying, well, I don't need to read any more of that. The story was atrocious, the characterisations were abysmal, and McNiven's artwork was ugly. That being said, I think he did improve some from the glimpses I gave a Captain America trade I picked up from my local library. I also point out that essentially Civil War was the death knell of the Marvel Universe, a place for me to follow. Sure, I did stick it out with Secret Invasion, Dark Reign, and pretty much ended shortly after Siege finished, but while both companies are guilty of event pushing, I think Marvel's gotten much worse about it than DC. See, I didn't even count events I wasn't regularly following, like Fear Itself and Chaos War, and it all started with an ugly story where Mark Miller thought he was so bloody clever and timely. Bugger off to him, as I believe you proper English speakers refer to it. Actually, I would have said...
2: with a chainsaw. Mm -hmm. That was probably his his language as well. I... He doesn't sound like Grant Morrison, does he? No, he does Different area of Scotland. But I, I just read Scottish people as Grant Morrison.
3: Oh, aye. Yeah. They're all taught like <laughs> that, and it's a wee bit slow. <laughs> to me, they all sound a little bit like Billy Connolly. But I know they don't all sound like this.
2: Mm. It depends on the area that you come from, doesn't it? To me, if you're Scottish, you either got a Grant Morrison voice or a Ewan McGregor voice. Ewan McGregor sounds... no. Mm.
3: I wonder where Ewan McGregor comes from.
2: Anyway, finally, continues
3: Michael, I also want to thank Hey Kids Comics for being part of a major transition in my life. As of May 24th, I left my previous job to start up, as of today, May 28th, an externship for medical billing. Between January and now, I had many night classes to attend to get my externship, and on days at work, when I needed some comic book fun, I got more than my third fur do- fur dosage from you both. Andrew and Michael so I guess you're one of the many I can thank for my successful course completion and hopefully you'll be part of my making sure I can ace my externship and those afterwards start a fruitful career thank you both so very much for giving me smiles and no doubt moments during a rather exhausting time in my life but I believe it shall all be ultimately fruitful and I know I'll keep listening to Hey Kids comics thanks again and talk to you when I get the chance to talk to you sincerely Michael
2: Peacock well thank you very much I do like this we just help people yeah we're like you know what we're like Go on. We're like the 80. Yeah, but we do nothing but sit on our eyes. Yeah, people
3: don't hire us. Yeah. They don't have to find us. They don't have to go through all that drivel of us putting funny disguises on <laughs> pretending that we run Chinese laundromats. No, but I do anyway because it's fun. <laughs> yeah, that, that is fun. I, I grant you. Uh, but we've helped them through so many things. Yeah. And you know, all seriousness, it's actually quite moving. hmm That our stupid little show that we record in our <laughs> dining room On a a digital recorder, Mm -hmm. spreads its wings far and wide and helps people, either psychiatrically, like J. David Wheater, or through educational pursuits, like Michael Peacock. And or lots of others as well. Mm-hmm. So we're actually very proud of that. We will take the pace, because that's what we do, and we're not very comfortable with compliments. No. But we, we do appreciate people telling us stuff like that. It does make a, does make a difference. Thank so, you very
2: much. Like we've created a helpful monster.
3: Yes, we've created a monster that doesn't go out and rampage. Or, we've calmed David down. Or kick little girls into lakes. Yeah, and we've made Michael go out and, and do that medical stuff that was far too complicated for me to understand. Yes, So you're very welcome, Michael. We're glad we could help you through. Our next email is from Rob Stubbs. Civil War 2, if only we had a good story. Salutations to the clan of the Leylands on the British Isle, home of Captain Britain and Psylocke. And Union Jack. Yes. Don't forget Union Jack. I'm glad I didn't have to read this mess the more I listen to the podcast, as it validates my rather cynical view of comics, where big events are just excuses for mindless fight scenes or bloody brutal murders, with no plot development or character development you know Rob if there had been more mindless fight scenes in Civil War I may have enjoyed it more
2: yeah that sounds like the selling point
3: Avengers vs X-Men was mindless fight scenes
2: yeah I recall enjoying
3: Avengers vs X-Men yeah There was a perfect chance to tell a story about freedom versus safety or something interesting where you take these characters based on who they are and what they believe according to the already established history. Captain America defends Speedball from the angry mob mentality. He keeps the focus on the convicted, escaped murderer Nitro who actually did kill people. The spark becomes the trial and swift conviction of Speedball leading to the new law being contemplated then passed. The rifts start to form as people pick sides based on what is legal and what is just centred around the now. Convicted Speedball and what we do with P- People with powers. That actually sounds like quite a good idea. Mm-hmm. Certainly sounds better than the one we got, doesn't it? I've also come to the conclusion that the basis for a lot of these characters is done for perspective of the ultimate universe. The Reed Richards of that universe would easily ignore people in his life to focus on whatever he was obsessed over. That Reed Richards would create a prison to put people in. The Peter Parker of that universe could easily not have a plan to escape and it'd just be dumb luck. Tony Stark would totally justify whatever he was involved with. If you view the entire series from the perspective of the Ultimate Universe, it makes a lot more sense. However, it's not set in that universe, but it is in the main Marvel Universe, so it has zero chance of making sense. I can make the case that my perspective is probably true if we look at what the writers were doing in their own books where the character's acting character, despite being involved in the stupid mess. I now point to Andrew's excellent breakdown of the differences between Civil War and the Spider-Man book. Well, thank you for that. If we'd have had the other tie-ins, we probably would have done more of that. Yeah. But we didn't, and I, I'll be honest. I read the Captain America ones, even mm. though we only mentioned them in like one line. and thought they were rather boring, and the Fantastic Four ones. I was kind of on the fence with. It was like I could see Straczynski trying to make it work,
2: but couldn't.
3: And the the issue where the thing went to France was funny, mm. but I don't I don't see the thing running away. Yeah, but you know, whatever. How dare you insult all those costume players who completely look like the character they represent, Andrew? I understand what you're trying to say, and that they don't look like the characters, but like people who are trying to look like the characters. I'm just wondering when the Punisher decided thieves deserve to be executed, especially considering he doesn't have a problem stealing things himself. Oh, sorry, I'm trying to think again, which is clearly discouraging reading this or even listening to it. Hold on. I'm calling in my substitute from Cube World Bizarro. Goodbye. Me, I'm here to tell you how much this story is hated. It required reading. Me hate this story. Best story works with all bizarro code. Hello. Michael, have you checked to see if your dad's been replaced by a Skrull? Uh, Not recently. (laughs) I went to deal with this idea of Captain America being so out of touch because of being thawed out from the ice of fighting in World War II... Let's start with the fact that he's a product of a super-soldier f- formula that the most brilliant men in the Marvel Universe haven't been able to duplicate. Captain America fought people in the 30s and 40s using advanced technologies such as death rays, robotic creations, genetically engineered beings, and so forth. One of his colleagues, the original Human Torch, was an artificial life form created in the 30s. One of his other colleagues, Namor, was a hybrid of human and Atlantean with access to Atlantean technology that is shown being used. Let's just ignore all that and deal with the fact of the unfrozen Captain America in the modern era. Captain America who works with S.H.I.E.L.D. with the cutting edge technology that he has access to and has used before can also be ignored if you want. Captain America has been to other planets and in fact been to other galaxies fighting the advanced technology of both the Skrull and the Kree. Captain America has fought for the Kang the Conqueror both at this point in history, multiple times and in other periods of history. Captain America has routinely flown the Quinjet used the advanced training technology in Avengers Labs. Avengers Mansion, isn't it? And use the advanced communications designed by his associates. So people who use the Do you know about Facebook or iPhones to be slapped down with? Let me ask you. Have you ever been to places like Wakanda or how about the moon or the Kree homeworld? Oh, you haven't. Well, surely you've been to places like Asgard or the past or the future? No, no, oh, oh. Well, surely you've flown highly advanced planes like, say, a Quinjet or the flying car used by S.H.I.E.L.D. Oh, you haven't. So how many times have you saved a city or a country or the entire planet? Oh, your answer is is zero.
0: Hmm.
3: You see this ultra-thin credit card-sized thing with my picture on it, it's a highly advanced communication device that allows me to contact people on the moon. It also monitors my vital signs, lets me track other people who have these cards, and lets me access some of the most top secret information sources on this planet. I am friends with some of the most brilliant men and women on or off planet Earth, so your condescending crap asking me about Facebook and iPhones is not appreciated, especially since you haven't been outside of New York City. That was quite good though. Mm-hmm. I like that. You should take that scene in that Frontlines comic and put that dialogue in instead. It works. That would be fun. That's the scene I want to see, says Rob. But Steve Rogers is a lot nicer than me. Yeah, it still would have been funny, though. I'm glad Civil War is over when done with because basically due to it they had to erase Tony Stark's mind so he could make up for his actions during it. It makes me want to rant, which is bad for my blood pressure as once again we get crappy storytelling trying to hide behind a snappy slogan and shiny fight scenes that are pointless and mean nothing. I want to reiterate that this was a good that if this was a good, well-written story I would feel differently, even if they got the characters wrong in the telling of the story, because at least it would be a good story. This is not. So basically you have characters acting completely out of character to their established story arcs to create a meandering mess that falls apart if you spend any time thinking about it. Well I'm off as I've run out of my delicious diet Dr Pepper, so until next time this is your American pal Jimmy Olsen. I'm not the real Jimmy Olsen, but Robert L. Stubbs saying goodbye. Thanks, Rob. I like that Captain America dialogue. Mm -hmm. That made a lot more sense than the real thing. Final email for the night is from Christopher Keith called Civil War Part 1, or Speedball. Really? Yeah, that is a funny name. Mm -hmm. Greetings, mighty Leylands. I apologise for the delay in writing, but sometimes I do have to pretend to be crazy busy at work until it ceases to be pretend... Oh, well. Writing in about Civil War was a fun one. I enjoyed it the first time, but really haven't enjoyed it as much on subsequent reads. The episode was certainly entertaining when you look at it from a different perspective. The perspective of, what the f... A few points. You guys talked about how the ire was misdirected towards the new warriors. So, I went back and reread that scene. I thought about it, and yeah, it was totally their fault. They bust into the house with no plan, with really only four people trying to subdue four people, and gosh golly, one escapes. So they give chase to a school against a bad guy named Nitro. Right near the playground, with a guy named Nitro. I guess it should have been a more obvious supervillain name, like Blow Crap Up, so that Neymarita would realise without chasing him to an elementary school that that might be a bad idea. In a perfect scenario, the police would have surrounded the house with a SWAT team, realised they were way outmatched, called the Avengers. The Avengers, with seven members, usually, would have contained the situation and would have done it in a professional manner. Containment being the key. Not this half-assed, I-just-got-drinking-20-Red-Bulls approach that the new warriors used. The strategy was straight out of Ghostbusters. Get her? That was your plan? Get her? Oh, and Speedfreak was the guy who used his super bendy yet sharp claws to rip a hole in the Hulk. It's really gross, too, because his wound healed over his hand, so he had to yank it out of the closed wound. Yeah, that was gross. I remember that. That was very gross. OK. If Speed Freak could do that to the Hulk... ...then a sucky team like the new Warriors have no chance. As for the mom that is paraded around spitting on Iron Man... ...yeah, she would do that too. The Avengers have been chartered by the United Nations... ...on and off in history... ...have been deputised indeed, if not in fact. The FF say no more. So these stupid kids decide to chase a group... ...composed of the guy who ripped the Hulk's guts out... ...and the guy who killed Captain Marvel in the middle of a suburb. I'm not saying they were negligent. I'm saying they were stupidly negligent. And the Avengers and Fantastic Four... ...the grown-up should please the toddlers better... The Avengers and the FF should all like Mr. Incredible from The Incredibles and tell the New Warriors to go home, buddy. See, now, I don't disagree with any of that. However, my point is that ultimately, yes, the New Warriors caused Nitro to blow up. Yeah. But Nitro blew up. But it all goes back to
2: them. On page one, it goes back to them. They did handle it wrongly,
3: but surely the focus of the bill being brought in would not be on their inaction, but on the supervillain who blew up, right? Right. The supervillain who blew up would not be bothered by the Superhero Registration Act. He would not register. Yes. So, surely, at some point, somebody in rebuttal, in rebuttaling, somebody in defence of not having the Superhero Registration Act... Mm -hmm. would have mentioned that it wasn't the New Warriors... who actually caused the explosion... It was Nitro.
2: Yes, but if you remember people were sick of sixteen year old kids blowing up buildings.
3: But the sixteen year old kid didn't blow up the building. But That's my point. The sixteen
2: year old kid set off
3: the bomb. I'm not disagreeing with what Chris said, but the sixteen year old kid didn't do it. He set the bomb off. No, Nitro he didn't. was the bomb. Nitro can blow himself up. It's not like this, the the new warriors planted the bomb and then
2: set it and left. Yeah, he can blow himself up, but he only chose to because of the the new warriors. But he still chose to do it. Because of them? He still chose
3: to do it. Alright, alright. That's what I'm arguing. That and, and then I'm arguing that he was subsequently completely forgotten. Yeah. Apart from... You said he got mentioned in a tie-in. Well, yeah. And there was one line of dialogue from Captain America, wasn't there? Does it there? matter? Yeah, does it matter that Nitro's still on the loose? Yeah. Yeah, Cap, it kind of does. That's what I'm arguing. Yeah. That Matt Murdock who was against registration, could have argued in a court of law... Mm-hmm. If Speedball was brought up in a court, which he didn't seem to be... He, he was in the that he Was he? Yeah. Well, did Matt Murdoch defend him by saying this guy didn't actually cause the explosion, case no, dismissed? I, uh, probably not. Surely he would have done. That seems to me a pretty big thing for a lawyer to pounce on. Yeah. That's my argument. I'm not saying that the, the new warriors or whatever were any good... Mm -hmm. In fact, they were incompetent. They were showing off for television. None of that's in dispute. What I'm saying is that Nitro did what he did to get the story moving and then was forgotten about. Yeah. Even though he was the one who caused all the devastation and the deaths. Yes. So, I'm glad we're on the same page. Number two, Speedball. Andy, I know you like Steve Ditko, but this guy, wow. Wow. Talk about mailing it in with a creation. Of course, they should have made him a drug addict. It's a given. He's name's Speedball. Yeah, I had to look that one up. Speedball is cocaine and heroin. I guess that's the Reese's Peanut Butter Cup of drugs. <laughs> I do like that idea. <laughs> have you guys ever read Speedball? No. no, I've never read Speedball. I think we said in the show, when was the last time anybody heard about Speedball? Probably when he...
2: Probably not when he came out. Probably
3: never, I'm willing to bet. I picked up the first three issues when it originally came out and then realised I was apparently reading Robert, Robert Kaniga Teen Titans and the year was 1970 and the book was still 15 years out of touch. Absolutely terrible. Nothing could have made this character interesting so making Impendance was an improvement and it brought the gimp from Pulp Fiction into the Marvel Universe. Number three, Bendison's opinion on the Hulk. I like suspending disbelief. I believe a man can fly. I believe that a man can train himself with every martial art and swing around Gotham every night fighting crime, despite the fact that even the best Olympic athlete would have been pushed to exhaustion by that routine by
2: week three. It would, only, it would take you five years to be Batman. Would it? Yes. one guy we? wrote an essay on it saying that if you train yourself your entire life to do things like Batman and if you did everything like Batman in the real life you could only be Batman for five years before you burn out and can never do it well again. we and
3: you have discussed that before haven't we yeah the, the prime like for, for a superhero by the time you're 30 you'd be over the hill mm-hmm. like athletes are yeah. so right okay and three I believe that Quasar is heterosexual <laughs> I didn't know that was ever in any doubt to be honest with you but you know whatever would it matter if he wasn't um, no, Marvel could get a lot of publicity out of that, probably. Uh, but I refuse to believe that a crazed green rage monster can destroy everything in its path and no one gets a boo-boo. It's absurd. I get that he's supposed to be a hero, but the Hulk is not ripping a truck apart and throwing it with surgical precision. The Hulk weighs 1,200 pounds. His berserker rages make Wolverine look like a Buddhist. Just one time we should see someone with more than a bruise. No, it doesn't need to eat people, like in the Ultimates, but we should see someone with a pinned up shirt sleeve because a car flew by their outstretched hand at, oh, the speed of sound and ripped the air off. Yeah, Miller is over the top with the realism, but there needs to be a happy Balance. See, I'm happy with the Hulk not killing. Are hey, you? Yeah. yeah, I'm happy with that because also that makes him a murderer. And the minute you make him a murderer, he's not a good guy anymore and everyone else would Was bring he him down. a good guy. Yes, the Hulk's a good guy at heart. You uh, go back uh, and read the original comics, he just wants to be left alone. Just leave him alone. Still they do, but those mistakes are normally provoked. Oh, like Nitro. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not saying the Hulk should not be held accountable for his actions. Yeah. The difference between him and Nitro what I'm saying is with the Hulk you shouldn't put him in a situation where he's, he's like that, I know it's suspension of disbelief on a gargantuan scale but you're talking about a 5 foot 10 inch scientist who changes into a 1200 pound raging green monster I think I can suspend disbelief that he's not killed anyone if I can accept that that metamorphosis takes place Okay. so I prefer a Hulk that has not killed I'm not saying it's realistic that he hasn't but I'm not saying it's realistic that a scientist can change into a, a seven foot tall green monster either. So I'm, I'm okay accepting that. Your mileage may vary. OK, the email just keeps on going, and I do apologise. I'll probably write more as I enjoy this book again. I've got some good anti Miller bile just brewing, but I'll save it for part two. Thanks again for continued greatness, Chris Keith. P.S. Yes, I'm onto to David Tennant as the Doctor, and I'm thoroughly enjoying it. Although I did really like Eccleston. I'm diligently listening to Who True Freaks, and I'm trying to track down the episodes that the group has covered, which makes it more fun. Yes, we're picking some good ones. I uh, who true freaks yes we are uh, that's it for the emails this week thank you to everybody who emailed in Chris, Michael, Rob, Luke and David it's always nice to hear from everybody especially if we have give you therapy in some way yeah, yeah. we always like hearing that don't we uh, we're going to take a break and we'll be right back
1: on June 3rd <laughs> To the fight for freedom. (laughs) In the name of adventure. All together now.
2: It's not over yet.
1: Chris Honeywell and Scott Gardner present the last chapter of the Marvel Comics Star Wars saga. All together now with newly enhanced audio effects, THX and digital sound, and a few new surprises. Live the magic, experience the power, and feel the force one last time. On June 3rd, the last chapter in the Marvel Comics Star Wars saga, All together now. Only at two true freaks dot com.
3: Are we back? Yes, we're back. Uh, the second of our Marvel Now shows centred around two members of the Avengers, one of whom has had a solo strip and then book since pretty much the beginning of the Marvel age of comics, and another who struggled in both his identity within the strips and securing his place as an A-lister to the comics community. The first book we're covering tonight was a bit of an unknown quantity when I started buying it as part of Marvel Now, Captain America. Captain America is Steve Rogers, a frail and slight lad, injected with a super serum during World War II, and then duly dispatched in patriotic axis-smashing adventures. He was thought out of suspended animation in the 60s, and he's continued fighting the good fight ever since. Cap has always been an unusual character in the Marvel pantheon, feeling much more of a DC character than a Marvel one, even when he was returned to life in the 60s, and Stan Lee infused the star-spangled Avenger with a healthy dose of Marvel angst. Throughout the 70s, Capstrip vacillated between stories that questioned America and its place in the world, and standard superheroics, some of which were quite well done, the Stern Burn era, the Engelhart issues de Matthias Zack, and Mark Gruenwald's early stuff, and some of it not so well done, Gruenwald's Reagan is a Lizard being storyline from later in his run, and the wishy-washy handling of the character in the early 2000s. Writer Ed Brubacher took the events of September 11th, 2001 and reinvented Cap as a super spy, fighting domestic and international terrorism. But Civil War, in which Cap was shot and killed, seemed to take the wind a little from Brubacher's sails. When Cap was replaced by long-time, long-thought-dead partner Bucky Barnes, the creatives steeled themselves for a backlash, but Bucky as Cap was inexplicably popular. This tough take no nonsense cap was perhaps just what the readers wanted at this time and Brubacker was asked to keep Bucky as cap even after Steve Rogers returned. This, I think, killed Brubacca's run stone dead. I felt Brubaker was never able to get back into the kind of Cap fight terrorism stories he'd been telling and the strip started to feel a little padded. When Brubecker announced he was leaving the book in 2012 it was no surprise that Cap would be the recipient of a spanking new number one despite only just having had one prior to the Chris Evans movie being released and a new creative team. And this is where the unknown quantity came in. The new team was a little bit old and a little bit new. Old in that John Romita Jr. and Klaus Janssen were drafted in as the art team, and new in writer Rick Remender. Romita Jr. has long been a favourite of mine, but his evolution as an artist has taken him in recent years in directions that were not to my taste. This is no reflection on Romita Jr. himself, who I still think is, pound for pound, one of the best single superhero slugfest artists in the business, but rather perhaps where his artistic muse has taken him is not one that I'd like to follow. Likewise, Janssen, Michael and I have mentioned before, has been someone we consider very hit or miss. Both, however, had done excellent work together before, on The Amazing Spider-Man in the 1980s and again on Thor in the 90s. So I was hopeful we would get more of that era of John Jr. and Janssen than the looser, more scratchy version of more recent vintage. Remember was a different kettle of haddock altogether. All I'd read of Remender's work was issue one of Uncanny Avengers, the first Marvel Now book I read and one that did not create a good first impression. If Axel Alonso's mission statement for Marvel Now was a relaunch where the reader required no prior knowledge of the book and characters, Uncanny Avengers was a spectacular failure, a book that only made sense if you read the previous Marvel money-grabbing crossover Avengers vs X-Men. It almost made me swear off Marvel Now completely. Revender was also giving interviews saying his cap would be a 180 degree turn from what Brubecker was doing. Now this, in one way, made sense. You don't, after all, follow a tap dancing act with another tap dancing act. But when Remainder started invoking the name Jack Kirby in relation to his cap run and the wacky mo out there Kirby of Mad Bomb and such... It gave me pause. It's not that I don't like that stuff. Having never read it, I have no opinion either way. But given other people's handling of DC's Kirby concepts, such as Commandy and OMAC, it does seem like the only man who can handle Kirby is Kirby. And Kirby is sadly no longer with us. Nevertheless, I've always had a soft spot for Cap, and I've always been willing to check out his stories. If the American way can be debated as to what it actually means, Cap to me represents the American dream and the American Dream is pretty solid in what it stands for. Also, I have thoroughly enjoyed the recent movie Captain America The First Avenger, where Chris Evans' performance as Cap was so endearing, so sincere, so earnest, it rapidly became my favourite of the Marvel solo movies, a position it still holds due to the aforementioned exceptional leading performance, a solid supporting cast, its World War II setting, and the crucial but oft-overlooked element that the war was fought by numerous nationalities. So I was in the mood for more Captain America adventures. Captain America issue one came out on the 21st of November 2012. The cover by John Jr. and Klaus Jansen is... Odd. Yeah. On the face of it, it's a standard number one cover of Cap posing heroically with a futuristic background on top of what looks like broken robots. It's fine for what it is, but there are some issues. Cap's hands are very blocky particularly the right hand that isn't hidden by his shield, and the position of the body looks a little strange, this just could be the angle. The costume also has had a slight redesign. The buccaneer boots have now been consigned to history as being silly, and have been replaced by lace-up, thick-soled army boots. The chainmail has been emphasised, and Cap has adopted a bulky Batman-esque utility belt, in contrast to the standard belt he used to wear. To be fair, a lot of these alterations have been made gradually to the character over the years since the Ultimates came along, and it's a moderately decent redesign that looks completely different while being exactly the same. The big issue with the cover is that the colouring by Dean White makes it look like Cap is wearing a full face mask, which isn't really a look Captain America should be sporting. Thankfully, this isn't the case in the story proper, where he's back in his standard issue cowl. Castaway in Dimension Z. Or C, probably. Part one was written by Rick Remender with art by John Romita Jr. and Klaus Janssen. Colours were by Dean White and letters by Joe Carmagna. Caramagna. Caramagna. Is that it? I've no idea. Alright. It was edited by Tom Brevard. The story was thus. In Lower Manhattan in 1926, young Steve Rogers witnesses his mother, Sarah, stand up to her abusive alcoholic husband, Joseph, and tell him that he needs to get a job. Steve asks why his mum doesn't stay down when Joseph hits her. She replies that it doesn't matter how hard you
2: get hit. It's about how hard you can get hit. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks,
3: Rocky. (laughs) Prophetic words. As Captain America clings to a plummeting B-52 high above New York, he bursts through the cockpit window and wrests control of the doomed aircraft from the Green Skull, an eco-warrior terrorist about to save the world by killing off the human population with his Omega Fertiliser. Yes, Omega Fertiliser did make me smile. Cap pulls the plane out of its dead drop and aims it away from the populated areas. He purloins a parachute and heads for the exit, grabbing, against his better judgement, the green skull as he goes. The two men leap from the plane and Cap deposits the eco-terrorist with a nearby cop and tells him to call the Avengers and inform them of the biological weapon on the plane that just crashed in the Hudson River. Cap takes off for his date with Sharon Carter on this, his 90th birthday. They discuss her marriage proposal as they head towards a shield job. A subway car running on an abandoned track they know nothing of, nor who is running it. Steve boards the train without Sharon, but then the train disappears in a flash of light. Steve awakens and is welcomed to Dimension Z. Strapped to an operating table, Steve recognises the voice of Arnim Zola. Large syringes plunge into Steve's body, removing the blood from his body and carrying it into the body of a small baby in a large test tube. The word body has never been used quite so much into one sentence. As the next syringe penetrates his chest, Steve fights the drugs and the dizziness and smashes the syringe, pulling himself out of the straps. He grabs his cap, outfit and shield and leaps from the lab through a window and out into the wastelands of Dimension Z. Zola is furious. Cap has apparently killed the baby in the tube and orders the mutates of Zoldania to bring him Captain America, alive and unharmed. Cap, meantime, has managed to steal a fighter craft and crashes somewhere. He pulls his shield from the wreckage and also a baby boy who he tells, as he looks around this strange, brave new world, that everything is going to be fine. Page one. I consider myself moderately well-versed in Cap history. And whilst I haven't read every issue, as mentioned above, I've not read any of Kirby's stuff, I've pretty much read something from every era. All that being said, I don't recall there being any mention made before of Cap's father being an Irish immigrant or a drunk who beat his wife. I recall that Steve's mum died young and Steve was forced to fend for himself at an early age, but I don't remember anything about his dad. So this could be a retcon. I'm not willing to go out on a limb and say it for sure I found it interesting that Steve Rogers is there for a genuine Irish American which I bet makes him even more popular on St Patrick's Day although I am led to believe that if all the people on St Patrick's Day that claim to be of Irish descent actually were Ireland would probably be empty Probably. it's like in Buffy, when Spike says yeah if all the vampires that were at Woodstock really were all at Woodstock there would have been no real people at Woodstock
2: Hmm. Uh, the art on page one is pretty stunning is it though? Go on, what's your problem? It's modern Remita. There's something about it which is very off. What do you not like? Because I saw this first page. Yeah. And I thought
3: we were going to get the primo John Jr. Jansen team. Yeah. Rather than more recent vintage. Mm -hmm. Which we have mentioned before we've had a few problems with. Yeah. I thought this first page was great. New York in 1926. And then his dad beating his mum. I did like that the actual hitting of his mum was off-panel on the first page.
2: On the first page, yeah. So we
3: didn't actually know who was hitting.
2: Mm. What don't you like about it? It's called <clears throat> stiff people and stiff faces and big hands. and. See, I didn't mind
3: that on the first page. I mean, I will have problems with it in subsequent issues yeah. where the baby grows up a bit and Ramita Jr. seems to think that drawing a child with a huge
2: head... Well, it's how he does... Steve, yeah.
3: Yeah, he does uh, some not as bad as later on in subsequent issues I would argue. I disagree. I thought the artwork on the first couple of pages of this of Yoldi New York was fine. I, I, I liked it a great deal. We do get a full panel shot of him cracking his mum across the face yep. which I wasn't overly fond of. But I'd, we've said many times before not a fan of violence against women in any form. So I wasn't happy about that I suppose is the wrong choice of words because I don't suppose she was happy about it <laughs> you know what I mean yeah that felt a bit gratuitous after they'd done such a good job of keeping it off panel and just showing her broken bloody nose and a bruised eye mm. tells you the damage he's done without actually showing him cracking her one but no I, I like to and Steve seems to get his looks and his temperament from his mum given that his dad's got brown hair although his dad does still have blue
2: eyes but his mum's the blonde-haired, blue-eyed one, isn't she? Yeah. So that's who he seems to take after. So I thought the, the second page and the third page... Well, not them two, the ones after that, even.
3: Well, pages two and three, Joseph Rogers is portrayed as a bit of a work fop. Yeah. And he really does clobber, sir. So Ramita Jr., he pulls no punch, no pun intended, in his depiction of Sarah's beating. But I'm, you know... Not a fan of it. I do like to think that if Steve had grown up with his dad there would have come a point where he would have cleaned his clock for doing this to his mum. Mm. He would have stood up to him at some point wouldn't he? Um, yeah, the next page as Michael mentioned is the action beat that opens the issue. Pages four through eight essentially. Uh, it's primo Captain America. I thought this was executed exceptionally well.
2: Oh yeah. Um, and the colouring as well. The colouring's brilliant. The thing about the art.
3: Yeah. Um, no, I, was, well, I liked the art in this issue for the most part. A couple of minor niggles. Um... We're in mid-action. We don't know how he's got into this. It's like the opening of a James Bond film. It's a glorious action scene... ...which bears no relation to the story that follows. Cap's clinging to the outside of a falling B-52. And he climbs the outside of the bomber... ...digging his shield in... Downwards. Downwards to to make sure he doesn't fall off. It's really, really good. As Michael said, Dean White's colouring is very, very effective... I wouldn't mind him lifting this wholesale for a Cap movie.
1: Because
3: mm. it doesn't matter if you didn't follow the story after this. If you'd, You could just lift this entire sequence for the opening of Captain America 2 or 3. Mm. And it would work perfectly. It's absolutely fantastic. Uh, the B-52 bomber is being piloted by what Cap refers to as a maniac ranting hippie. A.k.a. the Green Skull. The Green Skull, it seems, has a lot in common with Raish al Ghul. In that he feels the only way to cleanse the earth is to rid it of all humans, Raish isn't quite this insane. The best Raish stories actually have the reader feel some modicum of sympathy for Raish's position, whereas
2: the Green Skull's just a nut job, mm-hmm. isn't he? It's a fantastic action scene though. I like the dialogue in it. It's pretty fun.
3: Yeah, he does seem. There's almost a campy, over the top aspect to the Green Skull. ...that Marvel seems to have been terrified of doing for a long time. The opening page of this book felt like a comic. Yeah. Felt like a a proper superhero comic. There was no ill-advised subtext. There Um, was no pretending that it's great literature. It was just a balls-out
2: action scene... ...of a superhero fighting a stupid supervillain. The Green just seems like the Marvel version of Joker... I, I didn't even get that from him. I just got that
3: he was a bit of a, a low nut job. Yeah. I don't get that he's as insane as the Joker. Although, you know, wanting to wipe out the entire population probably just qualify as insane. Uh, I did like that Cap pulls the B-52 out of its dive and sends it into the ocean. And um, he considers, even if it's only for a moment, letting the green skull die in the crash. Mm-hmm. He pauses for a second, doesn't he? And goes... Why am I saving you again?
2: Does and then show up in a
3: later issue. Well, maybe he will, but then he does because you know it's the right thing to do. And mm-hmm. Captain America does the right thing. I like that on the way down, he punches him in the face.
2: And <laughs> we have a Captain America who uses parachutes. Who is not written by Mark Miller. Oh, yeah, in Civil War, he still he landed on a jet and forced it to land, didn't well, he? That and in the Ultimate, he does um, a jump without a parachute. Does he? Yes. I don't remember because that because he's badass. Well, he is badass. He's the goddamn oh. Captain America. <laughs> Frank Miller was writing it. Yeah.
3: <laughs> um, page seven's got a lovely little comedy beat. There's a cop that has picked up an attractive young woman speeding in a car. And she's trying to talk her way out of the ticket. It's not like strong, sexy men are falling from the sky, she says, as Cap does just that. Did you like that? Very good. That thing. was my Murray Bethel AC mm-hmm. impression. Uh, There's a subtlety to Ramita Jr's out here that's lovely, as the woman starts grooming herself when Cap lands, like she has a chance. Mm -hmm. With Captain America, Entirely unlikely. Especially seeing as she's flirting with the cop to try and get out of a speeding ticket. The opening's absolutely fantastic, it really is. It's big screen superhero action at its best of a kind, we don't see a lot anymore this may be the Green School's first appearance for all I know but it doesn't matter he's a MacGuffin and handled exactly as a threat like this should be Cap gets rid of him in eight pages yep glorious opening mm-hmm. to the comic I thought um, the art does go a bit pear-shaped on the bottom of page eight Sharon Carter looks like a little girl rather than a woman in her late twenties early thirties doesn't she mm. she looks like a kind of midget version of Susan Storm yeah it's one way of putting it. It's one way of putting it, yeah. Pages 9 through 11 are the interlude before the, the main story kicks in. Sharon and Steve chat, and the dialogue is light and funny. Cap tries some sexual innuendo that Sharon claims doesn't work, and it's handled moderately tastefully. The rest of the conversation where Sharon gives Cap his birthday present is likewise playful, and Remender manages to plant the exposition into the conversation quite well.
2: I really like this dialogue. I don't see how one writer can... Do something as dull and boring with dialogue and stories on Uncanny Avengers*, and then do something this fun and interesting.
3: I don't remember much about the dialogue. The dialogue in *Canny Avengers*, if I'm remembering correctly, was just all exposition and dull. It was all setting up the future status quo of the Avengers.
2: Yeah. Instead
3: of just telling a story.
2: But it's also talking <laughs> about everything that happened in the past. Yeah. And it was dull and not enjoyable to read.
3: Yeah. Whereas well, this is this is great. Sharon gives him his gift, and he says, "What is it?" And she says... A colorful festooned box with a surprise inside. You must have had presents in ye oldie times. And Steve replies... Fire and the warmth of a woolly mammoth's pelt were gifts enough. It's funny and... The banter's playful and... It's yeah... I can only assume Rick re-
2: Remender... I don't know, maybe he was having an off day on Uncanny Avengers. Maybe we read more of them. Or maybe he was being told not to write.
3: No, I just think it was more a case of... Uncanny Avengers was purely setting up the future it was taking what had happened in Avengers vs X-Men which I hadn't read at the point after the fact yeah. Uncanny Avengers isn't as bad because now I've read Avengers vs X-Men but the whole point of it was New, new Beginning and that wasn't yeah. that was tying up the loose ends of Avengers vs X-Men and setting up the future this doesn't do any of that Hmm. This it starts with a great opening action scene that could have opened a James Bond film. You then get this playful little scene between Steve and Sharon. Although I when did she propose to him?
2: No idea. Is
3: that in a Brewbacker issue we missed or Well
2: you didn't give up on it, so.
3: I thought the Brewbacker stuff lost its way. Yeah. It really did. And especially when they cancelled it and relaunched it with a number 1 just because the film came out. That was just stupid. Hmm. And I just I lost interest in it at that point. I didn't understand what Cap was doing at the top of the page where he presses his belt buckle.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Does that does that mean his, his costume changes into his cl- real clothes? Yeah. What was the point of that? I
2: thought that's what it was. I didn't get that. Like, the Flash's costume?
3: No, I didn't understand that at all. I mean, alright, I presume so. Uh, I do like Sharon's password, I'm Jim Morrison, I'm dead. Mm. <laughs> that, was, that was quite funny. Um, you then get the setup for the story. There's a subway track that Shield neither knows about nor who is responsible for. Uh, it's well done, but Arnim Zola's way of getting Cap on the train seems to rely purely on good luck. Yeah, did you not know I think? I, I
2: really liked it though. I liked it, but it's like the first two issues of the Guardian story in Seven Soldiers. It's train pirates. On an abandoned line. Well, this is just...
3: That's enough. This is just... He's oh, plotted no, no, to steal Steve. It was a cool little trap. Yeah, it was a good little trap. My problem with it was the, the cop says to to Sharon and Steve, there's only room for one more on the subway. Mm-hmm. And Steve says, I'll go, Sharon. You stay here and sort out whatever you've got to sort out. I'll investigate what's on the train. Had Sharon forced the issues and gone with him, mm-hmm. I presume that wouldn't have bollocks up Zola's plans too much. He would have just ruled with it... And he could have used Sharon as like... A hostage or bait or whatever... Yeah... To get Cap to do whatever he wanted to... What would he have done... If Sharon had said... No you're alright Steve... It's your birthday... I'll handle this...
2: What would he have done then? Um... Mind watch turn centre back... Would he? Yeah...
3: Because it seems to me that that one little thing... That he has no control over... Yeah. It's the one aspect of his well executed... Costly... And presumably time consuming plan that he's got no control over. If Sharon has said, no, you're all right. You enjoy your birthday, man. I'll only be a minute. And she'd have got on the train. His entire plan goes up in smoke.
2: Yeah.
3: I thought thought that... That's my only problem with tightly plotted supervillain plans. There's always one aspect of it that relies purely on luck. But it worked. It did. But it may not have done. That's not a tightly executed plan, is it? Yeah. All right. Fair enough. I'll go with you. Um in contrast to earlier on Sharon looks quite good on page 11 hmm. don't she panel, f- panel 5 that isn't her? she she looks quite nice though and she looks like an, el- an older
2: woman yeah now not you know a prepubescent teenager well it, it couldn't have been a, a child because he didn't draw with a big head
3: <laughs> oh very good <laughs> I, I didn't read the AR stuff for this one did I did you not know? I couldn't be bothered now. It since been... it's not
2: all I've interested in no either. I've
3: been very disappointed with the AR stuff
2: yeah I was
3: expecting it to be well something like this like the next page there's a double page spread almost of Dimension Z or Dimension Z whichever you prefer and there's an AR thing in the bottom and I presumed it would be something like Dimension Z was inspired by Captain America 184 where Jack Kirby did this 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 and this and it's not it's just Matt Fraction going on about when I was writing this issue Redemo. Redemo. Remender, not Matt Fraction yeah I was watching the Fantastic Four once the other day wasn't Yeah. I? so I was confused and it's just no just give me a text
2: box and he said Rick Remender here uh... you're reading Cap 1 it's got great artwork and I want to thank Tom Brick and it's just boring <laughs> back slapping isn't it just them sat in the living room on Skype yeah and
3: sometimes it's the, the, the Fantastic Four one again I was watching yesterday it's Matt Bagley's on the bloody phone yeah <laughs> he literally phones it in <laughs> yeah and it's no go back to putting text notes in please it's this, it's, this nice it's it's a nice piece of Ramita Junior art, but the and AR NAR, app is the AR app in the trades as well.
2: Who knows? I don't know. Or did they but... take it out for the trade paperbacks? Is it only in the comics? I don't know. Actually,
3: I don't. I'll have to flick through a trade paperback next time I uh, I remember. I don't know though. Um, page fourteen. There's a young girl hanging around in Zola's lab that we learn later is Jet, who is apparently Zola's daughter. I didn't know Zola had a daughter. Me neither. He doesn't seem to have any genitalia, so I don't know how to pull that one off. Robotalia. Uh, Although he is growing babies in test tubes, isn't he? Yeah. That was just rather facetious of us. Armin Zola, Arnim. I always say Armin. Okay. I always read it wrong, and I've done my entire life. Arnim Zola first appeared in Captain America 208 from 1977, and uh, is one of the great visual villains in comics. He's bipedal but has an eye stalk on top of his head and his face is on a screen in his chest. I never got... Is it just on a screen or is it in, like, a bottle?
2: I thought it was a screen.
3: Right, OK, fair enough. Um, in the movie, he was a normal guy, played by Toby Jones, who was apparently back in the sequel. All right. And Toby Jones and Doctor Who, he was the guy who played the alternate version of the Doctor.
2: Okay. Remember that
3: one? No. Uh Uh, He was in the TARDIS with him.
2: No. Which means that
3: that's another alternate version of the Doctor that we've had in this this run of episodes. Yeah. Since Matt Smith took over. Uh, Page 16 through 19 is yet another good action beat. I suppose we can ignore that Cap seems to get free of Zola's operating table despite being tied down relatively easily. Especially when he's got that huge fringe in his chest. Yeah. But, you know, like Michael's pointed out, he's the goddamn Captain America, isn't he? Yes.
2: He does not need logic. He does does not not need logic. It's still
3: a good action scene. I like how he does bust out of it and fights his way through and throws his shield at people. God damn you, Zola. Yeah, it's great. God damn you for making me do this. No, at no point does he have bad dialogue like that. At no point is his dialogue trite and cliched. Um, With that out of the way, Caps Escape from the lab is high octane action. He destroys the lab, grabs his uniform, and leaps out of a window without actually knowing what's outside. Which I thought was pretty damn ballsy of him. Mm-hmm. He could have just fell 400 feet to his death. That or or couldn't he, he. could
2: have landed on a jet. Or he could have landed
3: on a jet. Mm-hmm. Which is totally what Captain America would do. Um... Because he doesn't know what's
2: outside, but he knows it's got to be better than what's inside. Yes. So, for a player to him, he Unless takes he a jumps chance out, and it's like well, what, the gladiator world from Planet Hulk. That would be cool. Yeah. There is the thing his shield absorbs impact, doesn't it? Yeah. So he can
3: fall from a certain. But height. he doesn't land on his shield. I got though that he did. Oh, he
2: did then. But I on get the my feeling panel. that he's,
3: his first impact, he lands on his shield, mm. but then he spins off off the building. In another direction and lands kind of on his neck and
2: shoulders. But, the shield does take impact, but he's still crushing the baby that's in his shield.
3: Yes, well
2: it's only later on we know that, oh Yeah, but so, in hindsight, yeah. he could have just killed a baby. He
3: could have just killed the baby. Well, the baby's presumably safe in
2: the shield. But he's falling into the shield as he lands. That's a good point, yeah. So...
3: Mm, yeah mm. dead baby yeah which we don't approve of in a Captain America <laughs> comic that's to be said uh, in between pages 19 and 20 Cap steals a fighter jet I love that we didn't actually see him do this mm. again you know we, we don't need to you know economy of storytelling he managed it because he's the goddamn Captain America mm-hmm. I thought that was brilliant he just stole a fighter jet and here you go again. Here's a Captain America who's just woke up in a dimension where he doesn't know anything. He's a stranger in a strange land. He's managed to figure out the technology enough to fly a fighter jet. Yes. But you know he doesn't know what MySpace is, or he, no, how to use a phone. No, how to use an iPhone. Yeah. Bollocks. It's my retort. Um, page twenty-one cap crash landing is wonderful. Wonderfully effective crash land. It takes four panels, which I probably normally moan about, wouldn't I? Yeah. In terms of decompression. But it's, it, it's really well done, Cap crashing the plane. Because it brings it full circle from the first couple of pages. Mm. Where you had to crash a plane at the beginning of the issue. And here he has to crash a plane at the end of the issue. Yeah. Only this time he does actually bring it in for a landing. And, you know, any landing that you can walk away from. Uh, page 22, the ending is equally good. Where Cap pulls the baby out of the wreckage to tell him everything will be fine. Before actually looking around at where he is, this was especially effective. Mm. As I thought, because up to this point, Cap didn't know he'd left New York.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: He's probably thinking he's in New York somewhere, or at least he's on planet Earth somewhere. Yeah. And then he looks around and goes, oh boy.
2: Wrong turn at Albuquerque.
3: <laughs> <laughs> um, I thought this was a great opening chapter albeit not quite as satisfying a reading single-issue form as the Mark Wade scripted issues from last week, but it's, it's very much the opening of a movie with the pre-credit sequence and then the setup. Still, three great action sequences and one issue is more than most writers manage in an entire arc nowadays. So hats off to Remender, though. Also, kudos on being completely different tonally to Brubecker's run which is quite brave given how lauded that run was. The art's pretty good and delays my fears as to which Romita Jr. and Jansen we were going to get but sadly they would get more sketchy as the series continued. Still, this was a good beginning to an arc that has been weirdly addictive. I presume you've not read any more of this. Yeah. Do you know what it is? Go on. It's one of those every month I can't decide if I'm enjoying it but you do anyway. And yet every month I keep going back to it and every month, oh, was a new Captain America out. was a new Captain America out.
2: So there must be something about it yeah, that I'm getting out of it. What I like about it is it's the same with all the other Marvel Now titles. It's new and completely different to what came before it. Mm-hmm. See, I gave up on Captain America long before you because it was just dull and decompressed. You didn't like Winter Soldier as, as Cap. It wasn't even that. It was just it was a very dull and decompressed. Uh, so looking back on it, the Sharon Carter story seemed like it took place over years. Yeah. Yeah, that's a fair point. But here it's all neat and Jack Kirby and exciting and bright and different. So, so you liked this then? I did.
3: Good. Good, good, good. I, I keep saying, I mean I've had a conversation with Paul Spataro about this run. Hi Paul. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those, I find this weirdly addictive. Yeah. I can't say why. I don't know what it is I like about it. Romita Jr.'s artwork is flaky. Mm-hmm. There are pages that are good, there are pages that are not good.
2: The story's out there, yeah. and you're kind of like, is this really a Captain America story? But I like that. It's. Do you remember when Batman was out there? And now it's Captain America's out there.
3: Yeah, and, but the must be... Like I said, there's some, there must be something to it. I keep coming back to it. You know what I'm like. If I'm not liking something, I will stop spending money on it. Yes. And every... Just today, there was a new issue out.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And I went, new Captain America. I'll have that. Yeah. And I don't even dither. I don't even go... It's instantly. Um, am I going to drop cap? Am I enjoying it? It's... Nope. Read the next <laughs> one. So there's something about this story that is speaking to me. Mm. So fair play to him. Because um, this was almost one I nearly didn't buy... Yeah. Because of our experience with Uncanny Avengers. Because I'd never read anything else by Rick Remender. Had you? Mm, no. Did he do a couple of Avengers vs. X-Men chapters? He might have done, yeah. Right, alright. I've read that. Okay. That's all that I've read of Rick Remender. I don't know anything else about it. Um, I did love that there was a text page from Rick Remender. Yeah. Letters to a Living Legend where he talked about his favourite Captain America runs and his ghouls for this series.
2: Was it written in his living room or in his Nokia? I have no idea. I like mean, he, he could have done that as an AR app. Yeah. So I'm glad that he didn't. Sat on Skype.
3: Yeah, with his... With a quirky hat on.
2: I'm Rick, we're doing... We're in America. we doing a dream of mine. Excuse, that was dinner. Dog barking behind me. <laughs> Oh, yes.
3: Very, very true. Sounds good. So you want more of them, then? Yeah. my understanding is this first story arc ends after 12 issues now whether or not he's going to carry on being in Dimension Z because my understanding as well is and we're not reading this Mm -hmm. but Cap is in Uncanny Avengers
2: yeah so does Uncanny Avengers take place before this it must do or after it it must take place but that kind of, of gives away that he gets home doesn't it yeah but if it's before and then this takes place after it yeah it could end with him becoming an older man and then coming back and he's 90 years old yeah if anyone's reading Uncanny Avengers and can tell us whether the Captain America, no, no, if anyone's reading Uncanny Avengers, well done for sticking. With. Yeah, tell us if it's any good because <laughs> <laughs> we gave up after one issue. Maybe we're being unfairly harsh to Maybe, it. Maybe, but I thought what we had to say about it was first. Yeah, if
3: the whole point of the initiative was this, yeah, you can give that to anybody and it. Does not matter if they've read Captain America before or not. They could read that and understand it. Doesn't matter if they read beforehand. We yeah. didn't know of uh, when Sharon proposed. Yeah. But we know she did. But she obviously did. But, I mean, whether they come back for more is entirely up to them. But they could read that and be satisfied that they'd read something that they understood. And was new. I've read comics since I was six. Yeah. I was reading Uncanny Avengers and going, what the hell's going on? Because mm. I hadn't read Avengers vs. X Men. So that was my complaint with it. None of the others that we've read have had that. Even All New X-Men by Bendis, which is my least favourite of the ones I've read, yeah. doesn't is understandable.
2: However, Superior Spider-Man falls into the Uncanny Avengers yes, category. Yes,
3: but because I've, I will not, not read Spider-Man, possibly the, the criticism is just as valid for a Superior Spider-Man as it won for Uncanny Avengers, but I won't have known that. Because mm. I can no more start reading Spider-Man than I can
2: stop breathing. And Michael Bailey stopped reading Superman. Anything's possible. It is, but he went
3: back. Yeah. See, he and I share exactly the same addiction, but for different characters. Mm. If I had to stop reading comics completely, Spider-Man would be the one I'd find the money for every month. Yeah. just It's just the way it is. I can't stop reading Spider-Man. Other books, like even my favourite is like Batman. and so I'm not reading Superman at the minute. No. I'll, I can pick and choose, but Spider-Man I can't. Our second now book for tonight. It's like now, man. Mm. I can't wait for it. it it's it's now, not, now. no. No, it has to be now. I thought you said I couldn't wait for this, because it, I'll it's... be honest. This was one of my favourite comics of 2012. Yeah, this one. Just this one on Just this own. one issue is one of my favourite comics of 2012. And one of my favourite issues that I've read recently. Barnell, mm. it was fantastic. It is, of course, the critically acclaimed Hawkeye. Launched by Matt Fraction, largely on the back of the success of the Avengers movie, Hawkeye has been a critically acclaimed book from the start, and even though it didn't begin life as a NOW title, it was one of the books editor Axel Alonso decided was true to the ethos of what NOW was trying to achieve, and as of issue six, the book was rebranded, as was Daredevil last week, with the new trade dress. The premise of Hawkeye is pretty simple. This is what Clint Barton, a.k.a. Hawkeye, does when he's not an Avenger, the idea being the Avengers, is where you will see Clint being Hawkeye and all the superheroic daring do that entails and this is him in his off hours basically it's Hawkeye the TV show if the TV show decided that costumes and supervillains were silly so Arrow basically now I know what you're thinking and you're right but Andrew that sounds quite bad but no lovely listener as it's turned out this has become a real treat of a comic book Fraction has taken Hawkeye, who was always the most human of the Avengers, what with his short fuse and inferiority complex, and made a comic that is almost unlike any other superhero comic out there. Hawkeye is rarely seen in costume, but still manages to get himself into trouble on a regular basis. Most recently, he's found himself teamed up with his protege, Kate Bishop, who also calls herself Hawkeye. Well, it's a unisex name, isn't it? Technically, I've cheated, on this pick. How so? As mentioned, Hawkeye didn't become a now title until issue six. However, if Alonso considers this a Marvel now book from the beginning, and again, like Daredevil, it does feel like it, then I'm calling this issue a now book. And if you can pick... All right? Thingio as a non-superhero boot when it plainly is Invincible then I'm having this
2: but this is issue 3
3: it is issue 3 it's not a Marvel Now comic at this point it only became Marvel Now with issue 6 so you should have chosen 6 then should have but I didn't. I chose number three. And if you can choose Planetary and Invincible for
2: non-superhero month... Planetary wasn't a superhero. I'm choosing I don't issue recall seeing a superhero in choosing choosing at all. issue three. So when Matt was
3: was with his girlfriend at the beginning and end of the booth, like he's not a superhero, he? Oh, he might it? have used superpowers, but there was no superhero. Super stamina, Yeah. Yes. that? I'm sorry, I'm cheating, and I'm having issue three. Deal with it. Uh, It came out on October 17th, 2012, and has a cover by David Asia. Asia has been creating a few more abstract covers for now, using a lot of white space, and this is no exception. There's a silhouette of two bows and arrows, one purple, one blue, and within the bows a male and a female in darkness, obviously. Kate and Clint. The rest of the cover is white with the logo in the top right. I thought it was quite striking. What did you
2: think? I liked it. It's the same with all the other ones. There's nothing wrong about any of them.
3: No, but they're all very
2: art deco design, aren't they? Yeah. For the Hawkeye covers. Mm. Every
3: single single one of them is brilliant. They're all really cool. Excellent, excellent covers. Cherry was written by Matt Fraction, with art and colour by David Ager and Matt Hollingsworth. Chris Eliopoulos was the letter and Steve Wacker was the editor the issue was dedicated to Elliot R. Brown who was an editor and artist at Marvel in the 70s and 80s I don't think he's dead but he did work on Hawkeye uh, the miniseries in 1983 which I think was the first time Hawkeye had a solo series it looks bad Hawkeye and Hawkeye are speeding down a highway in a cherry red 1970 Dodge Challenger with a girl bound and gagged in the back pursued by four Mark I Austin Mini Cooper S's this semi reenactment of the Italian job came about due to Clint Barton coming up with a number of dumb ideas on how to spend his day, beginning with organising his trick arrows. Even the boomerang arrow, which Kate mocks openly. Needing some tape to label said arrows, Clint heads out to the store. Exiting the store empty-handed, Clint happens upon a 1970 Dodge Challenger and its owner, a comely redhead who implies that it may be for sale for the right price. Clint is tempted and asks the lady to take him A, to the bank for the cash and B, to a store for some tape. Oh, and by the way, they end up in bed together. Afterwards, Clint notices four identical cars below the Mini Coopers and thinks that that's a little bit weird. He also thinks it's a little bit weird a girl up and selling her car and then needing to take a flight with very few bags. He inquires what kind of trouble is she in before he gets his answer. Four members of a tracksuit wearing gang that Clint has had dealings with before burst in and open fire. Clint is knocked out, and the girl is taken. Clint calls Kate and hightails it to him. I'm going to say that again. Clint calls Kate, who hightails it to him, and after picking him up, they pursue the girl's kidnappers thanks to a tracer arrow in the Challenger. Kate rams her VW into the Challenger, and Clint uses a putty arrow to keep the kidnapper from following, and they take off in the Challenger. The Mini Coopers engage in hot pursuit, and we go all fast and furious. Clint aims arrow after arrow at the pursuers, finally hitting Pader with an explosive arrow. One mini down. A cable arrow cuts the roof off another and a smoke arrow buys them some time. The third mini pulls alongside and Clint lets loose an electro arrow. The occupant, however, leaps for the challenger and manages to get his hands around Kate's neck, causing a collision twixt American muscle and British engineering. Neither comes off particularly well. The occupants engage in a standoff with the tracksuit mafia holding a gun on Clint and Kate pointing her arrow at it. Clint tells Kate to let the arrow loose and the boomerang arrow comes back hitting the thug on the back of the head. Clint and Kate get the girl to the airport where she refuses to tell Clint anything and they share a kiss.
2: Gotta get
3: uh, I found it interesting that three of the main powers from World War II, the UK, the USA and Germany, were all represented in this story in Carthorpe. Yeah. The Mini Cooper S is considered an icon of swinging 60s London, the VW Beetle is the German equivalent, and the 1970 Dodge Challenger is a classic piece of American muscle. All three have been immortalised on film in semi-classic movies. The Italian Job from 1969 is a perennial TV fave in the UK. I am purposely neglecting the bad remake. Um, it screens every year normally on bank holidays the VW Bug is best known for being Herbie the Love Bug from the 1968 movie and its sequels and the Dodge Challenger is best known for its starring role in Vanishing Point in 1971 and Quentin
2: Tarantino's Death Proof in 2007 well you know that's how we should have solved all World Wars by just driving (laughs) car chases yeah yeah. that's actually a pretty good idea
1: Mm.
3: we didn't have Paul Walker back then though we did not have Paul Walker no What, what would we have
2: done John Scheider could have done it, and Tom Wopat. But then, w- w- what's the point in the first place, just driving cars? How do you settle a world war by driving your car? You race each other. What's a world war, you've got to make it interesting. So you race
3: like... each other, and if you win, you win. So we know we're all on Nazis now, because the Germans <laughs> won. The VW Bug won.
2: <laughs> Maybe that's not a good idea. <laughs> you Who, know, as we all know, is heard with a hate bug. <laughs>
3: Yeah, from that close comic. Boring. Is that what you were smirking at when I said, Herbie the love buggy? Yeah. <laughs> oh, callbacks to previous episodes. You know, the minute you do that, you're creatively bankrupt. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, But we've been creatively bankrupt since, since this so anywhere. it doesn't really matter. <laughs> uh, page one of this absolutely fantastic comic book. I'm not leaving it up to the audience to guess what I oh, thought right. of this one, am I? Setting my stall out <laughs> early on. As mentioned last week, all the current Marvel books have this recap page at the beginning to remove all the unnecessary exposition of early comics, as new readers are brought up to speed. In books like Hawkeye, they can occasionally be a little smug, as this is very much a done-in-one issue, and the elements from previous issues that could do with being explained to new readers, i.e. the tracksuit mafia from Clint's block, who call everybody, hey bro, is not explained. So I would have to rate this recap page a fail. It's not as effective as the
2: Daredevil or Spider-Man versions. Reads like a Matt Fraction thing recap page though. Clint Barton, A.K.A. Hawkeye, became the greatest sharpshooter known
3: to man. Then he joined the Avengers. This is what he does when he's not being an Avenger. Why are you still reading this? It's repetitive. It's not if you've not read it before, though, is it?
2: Is my point. Yeah. That's why I thought this was a bit smug. Or well, like the the Avengers versus X Men versus recap pages. Yeah. No, I wasn't very happy with her either.
3: <laughs> uh, I have to confess I have no idea who Kate Bishop was. Apparently she was a young avenger of some description.
0: Fair enough I,
3: I never read young avengers, so not it it's not mattered to this book. If mm-hmm. they've, they've done a good job of introducing who she is and what she does, but first time I read it I didn't know who she was. Page two. The issue is structured in such a way that the present and the flashback scenes are all intermixed in the first half of the book before the flashbacks catch up midway through and then the rest of the story proceeds sequentially. For brevity, I told the synopsis in more linear form, but what is essentially the splash page is wonderfully laid out. There are a series of five square small panels across the top with the tracksuit mafia opening fire, Kate driving, Hawkeye pulling back on his bow, the redhead bound and gagged, in the back and another panel of heavy gunfire. The main chunk of the page is the Dodge Challenger being pursued through the streets by four Mini Coopers. A very deliberate nod to the Italian job the excellent Michael Caine Noel Coward 1960 My Movie in which three red, white and blue Minis are used in a bank heist. Now, just using the Mini Coopers could be considered coincidence but the tracksuit mafia are all dressed in the motorcycle helmets and goggles as in the film. Mm-hmm. So I do think that's a deliberate homage.
2: But what a way to open an issue like that.
3: Yeah. Four Mini Cooper S's chasing a Dodge Challenger.
2: Just have a picture of the car, that's you know,
3: fine enough. Oh, but even better, completing the Dukes of Hazard homage, Hawkeye is leaning out of the window, firing an arrow at them. Yeah. Wow, that's just a fantastic splash page isn't it? Mm. Absolutely glorious. Unlike a lot of artists, David Erger draws recognisable vehicles as well. Yeah, from the opening splash page that was a Dodge Challenger mm. they were Mini Coopers it's brilliant absolutely fantastic piece of art I love it I want it as a piece of art and if David Ajar is indeed at Thought Bubble this year he and he's doing sketches
2: he is indeed I want that
3: Dear. I want the Dodge Challenger being drawn by Kate with Hawkeye leaning out of it firing an arrow at a Mini do you think he'd do that for me? You might and then get him to sign it if you ask nicely. If I ask nicely. Because I bet no one else would ask for that. <laughs> that's what I want. i totally. 'm very specific about it. Like I that. want that. Draw me that, please. Because this is the issue that's going with us to be autographed. Yeah. I don't care about issue one. Sorry, I'll, I'll take, I'll this take one. issue one. Whatever. <laughs> this is the one I want Matt Fraction and David H.R. to autograph just so I can say to him this was the best comic I read last year. And they can go thanks. <laughs> go away, crazy man. Hey, you
2: recorded on the Nokia.
3: Yeah. Hey, I'm the <laughs> uh, the title cherry here referring to the cherry red dog's challenger Clint takes ownership of is later revealed to be the Femme Fatales name mm. in a subsequent issue.
2: But not this issue.
3: Not this issue. David Age's art is absolutely marvelous throughout the entire issue. There's a bit of Frank Miller and a bit of David Mazzucchelli. Am I saying that right? Mazzucchelli, something Mazzuczulli. like that. Oh. Yeah. Uh, but it's not a rip-off. Yeah. combining the influences of both to create something new. Particularly notable in this issue, AJ's choreography of the car chase mm. is brilliantly
2: cinematic. Um, it's very cartoony without being... Cut. Like it's okay, stylized. Mm. It's like, if you're reading Green Arrow at the moment, Jeff Lemire's... Which like, I'm not, because you've not given me to read. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, I know, I've not read them yet, really. But I forget who the artist is on that, but essentially this is the Marvel equivalent... And that's the DC equivalent of the same art style. Yeah, pretty much.
3: Yeah, I'd go with that. Even though they're both different books in terms of the story they're telling. Yeah. The art style is quite similar. Think David Mazzuelli, and you're not going far wrong. Um, the line, okay, this looks bad, is the standard opening line for the series, isn't it? Mm. Which is something I've really liked about this. Like Thomas Magnum, man. I know what you're thinking, and you're right, and my little voice was telling me that this was a problem. Yeah. He has little narration things that he says to us every month okay this looks bad yeah and it's, it's little it's touches massive. yeah there's little touches like that that I like all the way through it I like the film noir narration mm. that is in this issue and in every issue it's just a great comic It's just an utterly fantastic comic book. Page three. The relationship between Kate and Clint has been explored considerably by a fraction as the series has progressed. It's very much Big Brother Little Sister, isn't it? Yeah. Which I like a great deal. There is absolutely no sexual tension between the two of them. Uh She treats him as as your sister treats you. Yeah. She likes you, but she will take the Mick mercilessly. Yes. And he looks after her, like you look after your sister uh. yeah, you do you big softy. and it's it's a lovely relationship and I like it a lot and I like that the dog that he rescued in issue one is still around Yeah, I like that a great what,
2: what did he call them?
3: oh god I do not remember the dog's name it'll come back to me when we stop recording Arrow probably <laughs> that would be brilliant he called the dog Arrow yeah. <laughs> stick that up you Oliver <laughs> Uh, the dialogue throughout the issue is exceptionally strong, especially between Clint and Kate. The issue is set up with an absolutely magnificent piece of setup and payoff here. On this page, Clint is labelling all his trick arrows, and he holds up the boomerang arrow. Kate takes the Mick, but of course, this will come into play later. It was one of those moments that was completely obvious in retrospect. Yeah, I didn't twig. When I read it for the first time, and I'm normally the one who, when confronted with the vial of magic blood, will be the first one to say about that comes in useful later. Fraction kind of has his cake and eats it here. On the one hand, he's playing around with the rather silly idea of trick arrows. Let's be honest, a bow and arrows are a pretty devastating weapon in the right hands, and can cause an awful lot of damage to the human body. But on the other hand, the trick arrows save the day at the end of the issue. Mm.
2: so maybe they're not that daft oh, just I just sound. like the little gimmick all the way through the issue where whenever they used an arrow it there's a, was a panel just, yeah.
3: devoted just to that arrow yeah
2: it's It's fantastic
3: it's so wonderfully laid out I would love to have seen the script to this issue how much of it was fraction and how much of it was age and, and stuff mm. like that it's, it's brilliantly done absolutely every time you use an arrow you get a close up of it yeah. showing you what it does bowler arrow net arrow it's brilliant it's really really good uh, page four, we cut back to the present, and this just ticks all of the boxes that I require in good, solid entertainment. A car chase through the streets of New York. Check. Hawkeye leaning out of the window with a bow. Check. Muscle car.
2: Check. Comedy
3: moments. Check.
2: Hit. That's what you look for in every issue. Yeah, window. that's what out I look for window. in all my entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> Hawkeye leaning Hawkeye out of the window. <laughs> Like, where's Wallace? <laughs> this episode
3: of insert, this episode of Game of Thrones was terrible because it didn't have a muscle car in it and it didn't have Hawkeye leading up it I, have have arrow. <laughs> <laughs> I want my Hawkeye. <laughs> um, the comedy bit here is Kate handing Clint the wrong arrow when he asks for an acid arrow because she doesn't know what they are. Yeah. Because he's not going around to labelling them all. I thought that was brilliant because
2: an acid arrow. Does booger all. I said
3: acid arrow, acid arrow,
2: not a bowler arrow. I don't know what that means. I love the guy's reaction when he like shoots the bowler arrow and it goes around his gun. And he does it. Seriously, bro? <laughs> bro.
3: Seriously? Bro. bro. Hey, bro. <laughs> it's very, very, very funny. Um, page five, we're back in the past. Clint's first viewing of the Challenger is pretty damn good. Uh, Also, pretty accurate because, like, the first time I saw a real 1977 Pontiac Trans Am was just like, oh, I need new pants. (laughs) Uh, She and Clint seem to hit it off pretty well, but the fact that she's willing to sell her car so quickly makes Clint a little bit suspicious. She does also seem to have stolen Wolverine's jacket from X Men 2.
2: Yeah. She's even stolen his belt buckle. I have not noticed that before. Maybe she goes around sleeping with superheroes and... And Stealing her clothes. If she's in trouble, she'll sleep with a superhero and they'll get her out of it. Right, so Wolverine, she's nicked his jacket and his belt buckle.
3: Yep. That's fair enough. Page six, Kate finally comes through with an acid arrow and Clint takes down one of the four minis in hot pursuit. And I like to get out of the mini. Bro!
2: (laughs) Bro! Hey, bro. bro (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Bro. I was with my bro the other night and bro, man, bro.
3: (laughs) And you'd think that would have got boring because it's in every issue but it hasn't. It's still funny. Page seven, Clint and the redhead hit it off very well, apparently. She's pulling on her socks and wearing only her underwear and Clint is wearing nothing. With his little arrow out. Yes, yes, So I, I, I could do without seeing that, thankfully, and we, we don't. don't, so I'm, I'm perfectly happy. <laughs> Hilariously. About. Hilariously. A uh, fraction sets up this girl is possibly the traditional femme fatale in that she's on the run, leaving in a hurry, and the prime ingredient for a bad girl, trouble. I quite liked her.
0: Mm.
3: I thought she was quite fun. Uh, page 8 is really funny. The tracksuit mafia burst in with a sup, bro, and then open fire with automatic weapons. I like a Hawkeye goes, oh, bro. Yeah, <laughs> which is awesome. Um, Clint leaps for cover, and little Clint is covered by the Hawkeye head that used to be in the corner box <laughs> symbol. <laughs> the, little, the, the little John Burr one that used to be in the corner of the Avengers. Have you seen
2: the new t-shirt that Matt Fraction designed? No. Where it's just... Plane, but at the bottom where your crotch area is, hmm. there's that hawkeye hat. Is that? Yeah. That's pretty funny.
3: <laughs> <laughs> um I did wonder how these guys in a very confined space managed to open fire and miss. Yeah. But it's it's very noir, so maybe they're just not very good shot. Even dumber, why did they open fire at all? Apparently they need the girl alive. Yeah. Or else why take her with them? Why not well, just they kill hit
2: her, her? And shoot him.
3: Oh, yeah, they punch her out, yeah. Mm. But, alright then, okay. Later on, though, then, they managed to knock Clint out. Why did they not shoot him? They've already opened fire at him, so was they're not bothered about
2: killing well, him. it was like when they were shooting at the Guardian, the Patriot, one of the two, and then realised that he was bulletproof after they started shooting at right, him. Right, so they just didn't know. Yeah. No, that makes no sense in this context. No.
3: Why even open fire at all Because you're not going to kill him anyway? It is, it is funny. <laughs> Oh, alright then.
2: I love the issue so much I don't care. I'll give it a pass because it's good. Unlike Civil War. Yes. But this is cool, bro. That's why they do it. Yeah. Because they're all like, oh, cool, bro. It is. It's true. Uh, Page 10, the dialogue where Clint calls Kate is hysterical.
3: And once again, the setup of the trick Arrow pays off. This isn't quite as well done as the boomerang, but to have shoe-armed a reference to a tracer arrow and a boomerang arrow may have been a bit much. I do love that he rings home. And Kate says, why do you still have a phone with a cord on the wall? How did you know it was me? Who else would be calling? you a sad ass. Wh- wh- lots of people. Captain America. One time. It's hysterical. <laughs> I butchered the line delivery. <laughs> but it's funny when you read it. Bro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, page 11, again, we've got hysterical dialogue where she rocks up in her... Um, a VW golf where Clint gets in the car not wearing his top and he pulls it on and she's like Really? Really with the abs? Drive <laughs> And then she says keep your shirt on which was such an obvious joke but, but it still was funny, funny. <laughs> Oh dear God Um Page twelve Redhead Walking stole the challenger The plot thickens. Good comedy beat with the tracksuit mafia saying it's a good job there's not a scratch on it. Just as Kate crashes into its fender. Mm. Again, such an obvious gag. And yet every single one of them made me laugh. Mm. Every one of them made me smile. Uh, Page 13, having crashed into the Challenger and wrecked the VW Golf, Kate says, hey, look, a metaphor for your love life. Which was very funny. Mm Mm-hmm. I thought. Uh, Page 14, the issue catches up with itself here. And for the rest of the story proceeds in real time. Mm. Um, There's an advert for Captain America number one, right, though. So this is a now book. Which we just did. Yeah, but this is a now book. Is it?
2: Yeah. Because... Totally is. (laughs) Because a a now now. book was advertised in this now book, it's a now book. Yes. Okay yes
3: that's absolutely one, that's one way to cheat yes that's, that's um, hey, if you can cheat I can cheat <laughs> it's the way of things uh, Clint gets hold of an explosive arrow causing the mini to launch itself into the air and spin over onto its roof oh it's 1983 all <laughs> over again
2: I just expected them to get out just holding their Completely head and going unharmed. bro <laughs> totally bro let's just shoot our guns and yet not shoot anyone bro
3: yeah well they don't
2: do they <laughs> All this gunplay and nothing happens. Mm. Um
3: page 15, some very similitude is paired to the car chase, which I like. I always like when they do this. The Challenger could top 150 miles an hour with a V8 engine, whilst the Mini Cooper could only manage 134 miles an hour. But the Mini was a specifically designed race car and more manoeuvrable over short distances and tight corners. With the Challenger unable to get up to that top speed because of the traffic, the Mini offers a real challenge. So here, Clint equalises the odds by using a cable arrow to rip the roof off one of the Minis. Which was great. Which was hysterical. He latches the arrow onto a passing truck and then just yanks it and he just cuts the roof right off. <laughs> Again, a classic. a arrow. Yeah, well, the cable is probably very strong. Again, it's classic 80s TV car crash stuff, isn't it? It's the yeah. fall guy, isn't it? The opening of the fall guy where he goes under the truck and it cuts the top of the car off mm. and then the head just bops up which I think he's just stopped footage from smoking the bandit. But yeah, it's just—it's like Matt Fraction has thrown all the things he liked about '80s car chase TV shows into one into one comic, and it's fantastic. Um, page 16 through 18 is another fantastic action sequence with explosions. Kate pulling the Challenger out of a skid and then Clint using a suction tip arrow to cling to the top of the Challenger before being flung from the roof and into the windscreen of the remaining mini. These are three really excellently laid out pages with very little dialogue, but an awful lot happening. Um, All credit to David Ager for making this, what could have been, a really confusing couple of pages Mm. just flow brilliantly. There's crashes and skids and explosions. Occupants change vehicles in mid-drive and at no point is it ever confusing to the reader. It's brilliantly laid out. You get the typical stock shot of somebody changing gears, Mm. which is in everything, like in bullet. (laughs) I think they've decided that Ford Mustang in Bullet must have had 17 gears, the amount <laughs> that he keeps changing it. It's absolutely fantastic. He climbs onto the top of a moving car mm. and then gets flung off into the windscreen of the passing Mini. To which the
2: guy responds,
3: Bro! Bro! <laughs> <laughs> it is uh, It's just glorious. Um, page 19 and 20 is... Brilliant payoff to what was set up earlier on. Clint has a gun at his head... And Kate is aiming an arrow... At the guy with the gun at Clint. And Clint is just yelling at her... Loose the arrow. Trust me Kate... Loose the arrow. Because he knows it's a boomerang arrow. Mm. And it comes back and clobbers him on the back of the head. Which was... Telegraphed from page two. Yet still funny. Absolutely fantastic. So sadly... What are you laughing at? Big mistake, bro. Bro, <laughs> you make... <big. laughs> oh, the boomerang arrow always comes back. Um, page twenty-one. The challenge is totaled. Mm. Which I'll be honest, caused me pain. They get it fixed later on. Well, I was going to say it's back to normal in the next issue, in true TV fashion. Yeah. Thomas Magnum, the Ferrari blew up. It's back to normal next week. <laughs> Starsky so, you notes, the Torino blew up, back to normal next week. Yep. 18 Van, there was an episode of the 18, crashed into the water. Supernatural,
2: smashed the car, smashed the car out the
3: season to fix. But they still fixed it. Yes. You know, TV's changed a bit in the intervening years. Um, this was absolutely fantastic. Fraction has said one of the things he thought comics never did well was car chases, and this was his chance to give it a go. And by God, does he pull it off, mm. doesn't he? Aided by ages, excellent artwork. The chase is kinetic and logical throughout but still retains the excitement of a 70s movie car chase where everything was done for real. No CGI here. Clint's ability to think on his feet is a high point. The moonlighting-esque snappy patter between Kate and Clint is snappy and clever. And the challenger, never voted the best of the muscle cars, is given its due. It's a shame it's totaled at the end, but it will return. In addition to the car chase, this just had so many other elements I personally enjoy in a story. There's the 70s grimy feel to it, largely in part due to the artwork the noir tinged femme fatale character the seedy underbelly represented by the tracksuit mafia and some superhero action just for good measure a five star comic book what did you think? it was fun It was brilliant. Yes, it was. It was absolutely fantastic. Uh, Like all of Wacker's books, this still has a letters page, Mm. which is what I like about Steve Wacker's books. Every issue has a recommendation for music to listen to whilst reading, and this week's is Arrows by Fireworks. Guess what we're closing the show with this week? Could it be Arrows by Fireworks? It could well be. I've, I've never heard that song, so oh, I'm, I'm looking forward to listening to it mm-hmm. when the episode finishes. Like it all happens in real time, like the music's yeah. going to come out as we're recorded. I always <laughs> think that sometimes, you know. Yeah, um, that was it for this week. Did you enjoy both of those? I did enjoy both of
2: those. So weeks, I'm batting yeah. four for four then? Yeah.
3: With Marvel now. Mm hmm. That's actually a better average than New 52. Yeah. Gotta be saying. Uh, next time on an all-new episode of Hoots Mix more Matt Fraction, with a look at FF number one and Fantastic Four number one crossovers.
2: Yes. Yeah.
3: Of the devil. Yes. And yet, some Fraction makes it work. But that's for next week. Be here now.
2: Good night. Good night.
3: Infringement is intended, so don't send your phalanx of highly paid lawyers after us, as we have no money. Certainly, this show is not turned into a lucrative revenue stream, as no money is made from this either, which vexes us. The opinions of Michael and Andrew expressed in the show are the opinions of Michael and Andrew, and no one else. They own them, cherish them, and look after them, but are probably not to be taken too seriously. New episodes drop every Thursday at 2TrueFreaks.com and Hey Kids Comics is a part of the 2 True Freaks Internet Radio Network, your one-stop shop for a plethora of truly fine shows. Join in the fun. We have a website where you can see the covers of the comics we've covered at www.heykidscomics.webspace.virginmedia.com and we can be emailed directly at heykidscomics at virginmedia.com. We can also be friended on Facebook by using Hey Kids, all one word as the first name, and Comics as the surname. We also have a forum, www.forumforgeeks.com. We do hope you enjoyed this episode of hey, again,
0: Comics. if I started.